Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Charlotte Hayes, Director of Cultural Programs at the Independent Women's Forum, and I'm here talking today with Kay Heimowitz. Kay is going to be a panelist on IWF's very important panel on the future of marriage, if there is a future, and on the profound ramifications if there is no future for marriage. Kay is a William E. Simon Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and one of the foremost experts on marriage in this country. She's author of a seminal book, Marriage and Cast in America, Separate and Unequal Families in a Post-Marital Age, which I had the pleasure of reviewing for the Wall Street Journal, other books, but I wanted to mention that one. Kay, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure, Charlotte. Kay, uh, let's just get, cut to the chase. Is marriage doomed in this country? Uh, you know, 40% of people are born out of to single mothers now. Is marriage doomed? Is it over? That's not the way that I would put it. I don't think uh, we're going to see marriage completely disappear. But I think it's going to be more and more determined uh, by class uh, and, to a lesser extent, I hope, by race. Um, what we've seen over the last 30, 40 years is a big divide uh, depending on people's incomes and more than anything, depending on their education level. So we continue to see the large majority of children born to college-educated women. Those women are married. On the other hand, uh, an ever-growing number of uh, children born to women with less than a college degree are unmarried. And, uh, you know, I should say, uh, in case it's not well-known to your listeners, that the reason this matters is because marriage, uh, uh, the uh, children born to married couples are far more likely to see stable uh, home lives than the kids who are born to unmarried mothers. Kay, you invented or uh, coined a term which I love, life script, uh, yeah. and you talk about how kids, uh, young men in the underclass have really lost the life script in, in, that includes marriage. What does this do to the offspring? To their, you touched on this, but what does it mean for their 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 discipline, their their economic future, uh, being prone to crime? What does it mean when young men lose the life script for marriage? It's uh, it's a really um, important topic, and I wish I could claim that I made up the term. It's actually uh, is news among sociologists, not so much anymore, but that's where I found it in some older uh, sociology tracks. The life script, uh, when it comes to something like marriage, goes like this. Uh, you uh, know that you have a childhood that uh, involves education and an adolescence uh, these days that also involves education. Uh, and more and more, a young adult <laughs> involves education. And uh, you know uh, uh, in the middle class life script, uh, what some, some people call the success sequence, you then know that uh, in addition to finishing your education and training and uh, making a first uh, climb on the ladder on, in the workplace, you only then get married and then you only then have children. And the script goes marriage first, children later. Uh, and that script has been shredded, sh- shredded for um, 
almost all people without a college degree. Um, I worked on a big project uh, with the National Marriage Project um, uh, some time ago, uh, which culminated in, in a report called Not Yet, K-N-O-T, Yet, that talked about the uh, implications of later marriage these days. Later, as, you, as I'm sure everybody knows, people are, are tending to get married much later, uh, and that seems to be working fairly well for college-educated uh, women. But um, although uh, women with less than a college degree are marrying later, they're not having their children later. So we saw uh, long about 19, I'm going to get my dates wrong here, but I think it was around 1990, a crossover in the age of first marriage and the age of first child uh, among less educated women. So that's that's why I say that script is gone. And um if I can, if I can go on for just a minute on this, yeah. the reason that this is so important is that when you have the life script in your back, in the back of your mind, I mean, this is very not necessarily conscious in everybody's brains. It's not even necessarily something they could describe if you ask them. But if you have the marriage script in your head, marriage first, children later. It means that you go about your romantic lives rather differently before you are married. Because uh, when you meet somebody, if you are uh, part of the marriage script, when you meet somebody and let's say you're 22 but not really, uh, not ready to marry or not really thinking uh, explicitly about marriage, uh, you still, somewhere in your brain, you are thinking, is this, is this the one? Is this serious? Uh, do I want to pursue this? There is this ultimate goal of a serious, stable, long-term, uh, hopefully lifelong marital relationship that that uh, helps to color every relationship you have before that. But if you don't have that script, then you kind of drift in and out of relationships without having that uh, capacity or rather the uh, impulse to really ask hard questions about the people that you are involved with. Well, Kay, what does this do to the kids? I mean, what kind of kids come out of these these uh, uh, families where where their parents are are not married? And and and, and I'm talking, you know, about about the the kids who come from poorer families, really. Well, uh, in general, the kids who are born to uh, unmarried mothers, whose mothers uh, then break up with their uh, the child's father, as they uh, in in most cases do. Uh, and um, whose mothers then uh, frequently go on to another relationship, so there's a stepfather in the house, uh, and whose father may well go on to another relationship. Those kids uh, suffer in, in a multitude of ways. Their uh, academic achievement is um, compromised. They are more prone to drug and alcohol abuse. They are uh, more pro- prone to emotional problems. Uh, they are more prone to uh, crime uh, and early pregnancy uh, and a variety of other other problems. So one of the reasons um, that I came, became so interested in this big divide by class is that it means that the next generation tends to follow in the same footsteps as the, their parents' uh, generation, and it makes mobility less and less likely. Because if your child is born into uh, a single mother household that's 
somewhat um, unstable, uh, you are going to have a much less uh, clear chance of moving ahead. Um, you're go- not going to be doing as well at school in all likelihood. Uh, and um, that means that your kids also will be facing some of the same problems. Well, now, let me ask you this, Kay. What about cohabitation? Does that function as well as marriage when you have two two parents living together but they're not married? Does it, it, how is that for the kids? Is that stability? Well, uh, in this country, and, uh, and uh, we can talk a little bit about how it varies elsewhere, in this country uh, it does not provide stability. Um, for reasons that nobody completely understands, um, there, cohabitation has never um, garnered the same level of stability and commitment from its, uh, from its partners as marriage have. And I know, I say that knowing full well that we have the highest divorce rate in the world, or one of them actually, I think we've been surpassed now. Um, but nevertheless, as bad as our divorce rate is, our cohabiting uh, breakup rate is also extremely high. And uh, again, given that more and more cohabiting parents are having children, uh, cohabiting couples are having children, that means that there's more and more uh, child uh, disruption, uh, disruption in children's lives. Well, now let me ask you this. You know, we talked about college-educated women who... who have realized that the way to raise kids is within a marriage, um, and and yet we're often uh, hesitant to criticize people who behave differently, i.e., uh, the underclass. I hate to keep using that term, but and Charles Murray has said, "Look, what we need is is more judgmentalism. Uh, preach what you practice. Say marriage is important. What about that? Should we try to be more judgmental in dealing with with people who have lost the concept of marriage?" Well, first let me just clarify one point. We're not just talking, we're not talking about underclass here. Uh, okay. the, uh, breakdown of marriage did begin, particularly with, with uh, among poor blacks, um, welfare dependent blacks. Uh, but that was, um, uh, no longer true, uh, within, well, it took a little while, but increasingly what we see now is not only a very, about, uh, 50% of Hispanic, uh, children are born to unmarried mothers, uh, but in addition, uh, among working class uh, whites, uh, the number has soared as well. So this is no, this is not an underclass problem. And if we're talking about forty percent, forty percent of children uh, of infants being born to unmarried women, then you can be sure we're talking about a lot more than than deep poverty here. Right. Well, what about uh, judgmentalism? Here's where I don't. Fully agree. I don't. I don't dismiss the idea, but here's where I don't fully agree. I think that what we're talking about here are not exactly individual decisions. They and they seem that way to outsiders, uh, for um, or rather to middle class people who've grown up in a culture where marriage is taken for granted as the first step. Uh, but for people where it simply doesn't exist anymore, and there are many children growing up who do not know a stable family, have never uh, even met a child uh, who has grown up continuously, continuously with, a fa- with his father, wow. his or her father in the house. But you remember that, so are we going to blame, are we going to say, oh, you're being bad or wrong or, uh, for not marrying first? I think that uh, the problem is, in a way, it's harder to address than that, because we're talking about something that has to happen 
um, at, even in childhood, the idea that someday you will marry before you have kids. Uh, and we're not going to be lecturing um, uh, people who already have children. I think that that was a... That was um, a wrong way to go when we talked about marriage promotion, although nobody was lecturing, by the way. That was, that was uh, really more therapeutic. But um, I think that um, one, of the, uh, one of the questions we have to address, those of us who are interested in expanding, expanding the benefits of two parents to more children, um, is how to reach those kids so that we don't get yet another generation of children growing up where they kind of slide into a relationship, um, have a child when they're uh, in their late teens or early 20s, uh, and then um, break up. Uh, how can we create this, how can we reintroduce the script that we talked about earlier that makes you more intentional, more mindful about the people that you are involved with? Look, I always say to people, the most important decision you will make in your entire life is the mother or father of your children. That is That idea is lost. Uh, it, it is a, a matter of very little concern for a large number of, uh, of our population. Wow. Um, Kay, I mean, this is my last question. We have a really impressive panel for May the 13th. It's you, it's Isabel Sawhill of Brookings, who's been a staunch advocate of marriage and has had an evolution in her thinking. It's Brad Wilcox of the National Marriage Project project that you mentioned at the University of Virginia, and Kate Bollock of the Atlantic, who, who doesn't think traditional marriage is all it's cracked up to be. I'm just wondering, uh, how do you expect our panelists to sort of line up and align vis-a-vis each other? Disagreement, agreement, what do you think? Well, I'll be very interested to hear what Kate Bollock, who, who I know and whose writing I've admired, uh, has to say about children. Uh, I, in the last that I heard, she, she had none of her own, and I wonder whether uh, that uh, has an impact on her thinking. So I'll, I'll be interested to hear what she says about that. And then, uh, you know, Brad and I are uh, pretty close in our thinking about these matters. Uh, he uh, is, comes from a more religious uh, background than I do, and I, I don't know how much uh, uh, our, uh, people will find that that affects our thinking, but... When it comes to Bell, who I've worked with uh, over the years also, um, where I disagree with her and where I hope the conversation will um, try to go is she uh, isn't saying that it's not important to have a committed, stable parental couple. She's saying we don't need, we don't, uh, she's given up on marriage per se, but I see no signs that we know any better how to bring how to uh, create stable cohabiting couples than we do married couples so <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure you know i would like to hear her plan for that so, Belle, if you're listening, get ready. <laughs> Kay, this is going to be one of the best panels we've ever done. We, I, I just can't imagine a better group of panelists and more interesting and exciting. And I thank you so much for your time today to discuss this extremely important issue. It's been a great conversation. And to our listeners, if you're in D.C. or anywhere near on May the 13th, 
uh, please come to our wonderful panel uh, on the future of marriage. It's just such an important topic. Go to uh, IWF.org for details and an RSVP form. Thank you so much, Kay. Well, thank you, Charlotte. I look forward to the event. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.